Good morning. Let's go ahead and just give it up for the students. Yeah. Man, what a fantastic uh, week. They actually served a community that Amy and I lived in for two years, Homa, Louisiana, an hour south of New Orleans, down on the Bayou, down in the middle of the swamps. They got to go on a swamp tour the last day and have some fun after really just serving the Lord in very challenging context and hot temperatures. And I think that's going to be kind of relevant in a very indirect way today. The truth of the matter is we miss out on a lot of opportunities for God to make much of himself in our lives because we run from discomfort. We run from the heat. We run from, we run from anything that resembles risk. We run from anything that resembles a risk of loss, a risk of pain, a risk of sacrifice. Uh, best example I can give you is uh, bowling. I'm not a good bowler. Uh, you may be a great bowler, but um, my family has discovered something that makes it so it doesn't matter if you're good or not. They're called, um, what do you call them? Gutter, gutter guards. Gutter guards. What are gutter guards? Bumpers? Is that what you call them? I'm going to call them gutter guards. I'm calling them gutter guards, all right? Do you mean bumpers? No, I'm talking about gutter guards, all right? So bumpers, gutter guards, are, are, are for people who really can't bowl good, but they want their score to be high. You know what I'm saying? Only in our culture, right? It's like, it's like uh, when, you, when you don't want to risk a gutter ball, when you don't want to risk uh, your ball not making it to the pins, let's create a system that will allow my ball to get there anyway. It's a risk-free method of bowling because it ensures I'm going to be somewhat successful even if I, I, I'm not really that good. I think we have an epidemic in our country in particular, but you could say Christianity in our society as a whole. We have an epidemic of gutter guard Christianity, bumper. I'll say bumper guard Christianity. This, this whole concept and idea of let's play it safe. Let's avoid discomfort. Let's, let's run from any appearance of risk or sacrifice. And I want to say this in a very positive way, bragging on 150 teenagers and adults that went down to 95 to feel like 110 degree temperature for a week and loved people in South Louisiana in the name of Jesus. Amen? That's great. That's great. Could have been real easy to say, man, do you know, I don't know if y'all know this, but it's hot down there, guys. Y'all know that? <laughs> yes, we, we know it's hot. Here's the thing. We don't run from discomfort. When God actually calls us into something, we just say yes. And so I'm grateful to God for their willingness to do that. Here's the whole point of the message today. We miss out oftentimes. We miss out on God's best for us because we're not willing to risk the discomfort. We're not willing to risk the loss. We're not willing to risk the pain, the sacrifice that's necessary. Look at Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, ironically, we see a story of three young men, likely teenagers themselves, who faced a little heat of their own, right? And this heat was not the heat of the sun. It was the heat of a fiery furnace. 
And uh, we've heard this story a million times. You likely heard it growing up. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard of these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three young men who chose to burn instead of bow. It was a, a choice they had. And, and look, I think you're going to see by the end of the message today, it's a choice that you and I have today as well. Uh, not much has changed. This whole series that we started two weeks ago is about how we can thrive in Babylon. And you may say, well, we don't live in Babylon. That's, you know, that's Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And sure, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, I understand all of that. Look, our, our country, our culture, our society is looking more and more like Babylon every day. And how a Christian lives out their faith in this country is going to be very similar to how Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to live out their faith in uh, Babylon. And so how can we thrive? How can we not just survive? How can we thrive in Babylon? Here's the question, I think, that's at the center of the entire thing. Who will deliver you? That's really the question I've got to answer for myself and you have to answer for yourself. Every church has to answer, who will deliver you? I'm afraid we've lost sight of real faith because here's the truth. We've reduced faith to be just church going. So like if you go to church on Sunday morning, you have faith. That's not what faith is. Faith is not just having faith enough to get to church on Sunday. Faith is actually believing the unbelievable. Faith is having a willingness in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of conflict and, and confusion, continuing to stand firm and consistent on what God has said is true. That's faith. And so faith is saying yes to God to go wherever he says go. So we say yes before he even says go. No matter, no matter where it is, no matter what the sacrifice, that's really what faith leads us to do, is not make decisions through a lens or through a filter of what's comfortable, what's best for us, what's going to make us be safe, what's going to... No, it's, it's about what has God called us to do. So through that lens, we've got to understand Daniel chapter 3. Now, we're going we're gonna to read and paraphrase this entire chapter. So I want to encourage you to buckle up real quickly and look at verse 1 in Daniel chapter 3 with me. Hang on tight. We, we can't read it all, but I want you to stick with me as we walk through it. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made a golden statue. To make it simple, it's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Massive statue. And, and as Nebuchadnezzar made this statue, in verse 2, he commanded all the people in the land to come together and dedicate this pagan idol. And so in verse 4, it actually goes further and he commands everyone specifically in this way. When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, uh, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music... Everyone fell down and worshipped the golden image uh, the king had set up. Then in verse 10, some accusers came to the king and said to him, You have made a decree. What's the decree? That everyone who whew, hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, 
bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews. We're just giving you a little heads up, King Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come stand before him. So this is not a confusing scene. As we pause for just a moment, these three young men are being brought before the king with a very clear choice. Their choice is either bow or burn. Bow or burn. I know it's not desirable, but would you say that with me? Bow or burn. That's the choice. So it's a clear choice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. Will you bow or will you burn? Not will you bow or be wrongly labeled a hateful bigot. Not will you bow or hurt the feelings of friends and family who don't believe the Bible. That's not the question they faced. Will you bow or will you burn? See, this is why we can't grasp the seriousness of the question, who will deliver you? Most of us have never felt the heat of the furnace on our faces. We have contextualized a situation to where we can feel like we have the appearance of faith without having to risk anything. We are faithful we're church people, but we, we compartmentalize our faith from our preferences. We compartmentalize our faith from our surrender so we can feel good about having faith that doesn't cost us anything. We won't find that kind of faith in the Bible, guys. And it's really important we understand. This is an opportunity for me and you to grow today in relationship to our faith and our surrender to God and how we're supposed to respond in a culture that's bent against him. If, we're, if we have any hope in this society of living consistently and faithful for God, we've got to stop worrying about us. We've got to stop putting ourselves first and start putting Jesus in the kingdom of God first above all things. So most of us have, have never been in a position, including me, that, that would, would have to require a decision. Would you bow or would you burn? Look at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, is it true, this is, sounds so much like our society in our day, is it true that you don't serve many gods? Are you not serving my gods and, and you're not worshiping the golden image that I set up? Look, this is, this is not hard for us to understand the application. How, how many of us, when, when we share our convictions about current uh, issues in our society, and we say, well, no, I actually, I actually believe that the Bible says this, and so here's my conviction. Are you kidding me? You, you don't believe this? You don't believe I have the right to do this or that? You don't believe that, you don't believe that, um, that, that I'm affirmed and I have a legitimate right to do this or that or I, 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 I should uh, be able to live anywhere without any, any worry of, you don't affirm my lifestyle? This is the kind of things we're facing. And so this, this question is, is relevant. We hear it all the time, not from Nebuchadnezzar, but ultimately from the enemy that is speaking even through a culture. Is this true that you don't serve my gods? You're, you're, you don't worship the golden image that, that's been set before you? Is it true you don't affirm my lifestyle? Is it true? Let's just get real. Is it true that, that you refuse to validate 
my right to change my gender to do that? You may say, oh, no, he's done going there. I just want you to understand, this is real life, guys. This isn't playing games, all right? This, these are things we're facing. And it's one thing for Christians to say, oh, I just don't believe that. But what's the reasoning behind what we believe? You see, if we're people of truth, then we shouldn't be afraid of truth. We should communicate truth and love. We should, Jesus, even in John 1:14, was full of grace and truth. So we're going to speak the truth, but we're going to do it in grace and love. We're not, going to, we're not going to stand up and insult people or humiliate people. But we're also not going to validate insanity. We're not going to validate irrational thought that's inconsistent with the Word of God. And so with that, this is super important for all of us. And so don't check out on me. And please don't, don't like close the door, even if you disagree uh, with, with some of what you heard. I want you to understand the reasoning behind what we're saying. So here's what the king says. The king is like, are you kidding? You know, is it true? You're not going to bow? So here's what he says. He's like, okay, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance to join the team. <laughs> and again, this is so like today's culture. I'm going to give you one more chance to join the team. Look at verse 15. If you are ready, when you hear, you guessed it, when you hear the sound, you want to say it with me, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, right? When you hear that sound, here's all you got to do. Here's all you got to do. Just affirm it. Just say it's okay. Just say it's, it's, you know, it's not wrong. Just fall down, worship the image that I've made, and everything will be well and good. Everything will be okay. And if you're not feeling this is relevant, you're missing it. Everything's going to be, just, listen, just go along with the crowd. Just move with the masses and everything will be okay. We may never say it that way. We may never have anyone say it that clearly. That is the, that is the pressure of the culture, not only on our teenagers right now, that's the pressure of the culture on every one of us in this room. Every single person watching this on the screen is you just need to do what everybody else is doing. When they bow, you bow. And as long as you bow, everything will be okay. In other words, listen, I'll raise the gutter guards, guys. I'll raise the gutter guards for you so that no matter what, look, you don't even have to really agree. Just go along with it. Just be okay. And we'll make sure you're successful. We'll make sure that you're part of the team. But if you don't, if you do not worship, you will be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Here's the question. Look at his question. Nebuchadnezzar is asking a question of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thousands of years ago. That's the same question that we have to be asked today. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who will deliver you? That's the question we all have to ask today. As we are faced with enormous decisions that we have to make, as we're confronted continually to compromise convictions, as we're even challenged to speak the truth in love, that's not easy. It's easy to just want to argue. It's easy to just want to fight. But how can we represent Jesus well? 
So this, this story teaches us how to maximize potential deliverance. I'm going to give you three things real quickly from the text. The first is found in verse 16. Here's the point. We must refuse to conform. A refusal to conform is imperative for Christians. This is not like, a, again, a secondary great characteristic of super Christians. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that we're not going to conform to the world. Uh, Romans 12 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So instead of confirmation, we embrace transformation. We want to be changed by the power of God, not conformed to the culture, not conformed to society. And so with that, look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I mean, it's basically like they're saying, you're not really the biggest boss, all right? You're not the, you're not the biggest king. There's somebody else we're answering to. We don't really need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, in other words, if you're going to throw us in the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So notice that they are, are not leading protest. This is really interesting. This goes back to truth and grace. It goes back to truth and love. I mean, they're not, they're not setting up apologetics conferences and insulting all of the people in Babylon and calling them fools for bowing down to the idol. All right? This is really important. Now, are there occasions where there uh, are times for maybe more radical response in a way? You can look at Elijah, Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I mean, that was pretty amazing. He stood against 400 prophets of Baal, brought fire down from heaven. That's a little different. Here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not do that. They, they, don't, they don't shame anybody. They don't, uh, they don't even publicly call them fools. They don't ask for the microphone to try to convince everybody to do different. You know what they do? They just remain faithful to God. They, they, just, they just keep obeying Jesus, they, God. They just continue to, to be consistent in their faith, believing the unbelievable, even in the midst of crisis. Here's the thing. They're exiled. Their people have been defeated. They've been taken over. Babylon is ruled. They're living in a foreign land as exiles, but yet they're thriving in their faith because they refuse to compromise. So when given the opportunity, are you going to bow? The choice, are you going to bow or are you going to burn? They actually choose burn over bow. Now this is really tough for us to grasp, but I want to give you this simple statement that I think will help us understand. The, the greatest demonstrations of faith and obedience are not always seen in the things we do. I think we think that way. We think, well, I've got to do something that's a great demonstration of faith. But the greatest demonstrations of faith and obedience are not always seen in the things we do, but oftentimes in the things we refuse to do. So their demonstration of faithfulness to God is that they refuse to bow. They refuse to change. They refuse to compromise the convictions. They refuse to change what God has said is absolute. And so with that, they were not going to bow to this idol. They did not ask for the spotlight. They didn't ask for the stage. But God put them there. God put them in a, in a position where they were elevated in, at least elevated in, in public eye. Um, it may be an elevation we wouldn't ask for again. When given the opportunity, I really want you to do business with God in your own heart and ask yourself the question, what would you do? 
I mean, this is like a kid's story, right? That's the way we framed it. You ever thought about the stories we picked out of the Bible to make kid's stories? I mean, like throwing three people in a fiery furnace doesn't seem like a kid's story that much, you know? What about like a, a man gets eaten by a fish? Oh, yeah, Jonah. Let's make that a kid's story, right? A Daniel gets thrown in the... I mean, you colored these things as children, right? You know what I'm saying? So these... But here's the thing. I think we... Sometimes what we do, and I say we, as people, Christians, we like compartmentalizing things that are unbelievable and require faith. And we like shoving them in some past story that makes it seem like a fictitious kid's story that, that makes us, oh, yeah, sure, that'd be, that's a great, you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know what the fact of the matter is? We don't want to be confronted with the fact that God oftentimes calls us to stand in front of a fiery furnace. God may call you to be thrown into a lion's den. You may say, lion's den? There's not a whole lot of lions that you know. Here's what figuratively, truth of the matter is, we run from that. We run from the fire. We run from the heat. We run from discomfort. We run from any appearance of loss and pain. And I'm here to tell you, look, this is an absolute fact of all of us, me included. We miss God's best when we run from sometimes what we perceive to be the worst. We run from the worst of circumstances because of our tendency to desire comfort and... and, and uh, and joy and, and happiness and all. So all of these things, we're wanting what serves us. And in the end, we actually miss out on God's best. We know this to be true. It's like first to be last, last to be first. The truth is we gain by losing. And that really is what we see next. That first point is we've got to refuse to conform. But secondly, we've got to be willing to lose. The reason most of us don't gain in this process and pathway of faith is because we have constructed all kind of guardrails that prevent us from losing. We are, y'all all right today, by the way? I'm, you know, we, 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 we've got the, what y'all call them, bumper guards? We've got the bumper guards up, man. And we're going to beat everybody. I mean, we, we can't lose. <laughs> it's just like, let's turn around backwards. Throw it this way, you know, whatever. Woo! Why? Because the bumper guard's going to handle it. We construct a context of life where we can't lose. We can't, we can't have pain. We can't experience any resemblance of sacrifice. Our idea of faith is that God just does what we want him to. That's not a biblical view of faith at all. Faith is not rubbing the genie's bottle and asking him to give you three wishes. Faith is giving your life to a cause greater than you. That's what faith is. Faith is, is, is actually recognizing what it's going to cost you to go and go anyway. Faith is actually recognizing the pain and embracing the pain in the name of Jesus Christ and the suffering that he actually took for me on the cross of Calvary. That's, that's what faith actually is. And so with all of that in mind, look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No kidding, because they, they basically said, you're not my boss. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's orders 
uh, or order was urgent and the furnace was overheated. Here's what happened. The flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. These three young men had no assurance of God's deliverance. I mean, they knew they were choosing loss. Don't miss this. They were choosing to lose. Let me just ask you, how often have you, how often do you choose to lose? It's, it's rare, man, that we choose to lose. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a choice, and they chose loss over gain. They chose really ultimately loss of their lives over gain. But they had a faith. Even though they didn't know if God was going to deliver them from the flames of the fire, they had faith in the character of God. I want you to look back at verse 17 because this is so powerful. And this is an equation. If you got pen and paper or you got your notes out, I would encourage you. These three things are things that all of us should do. We can do. When we're faced with impossibility and we recognize and remember, oh, faith is actually believing in the unbelievable. So if I'm going to have faith in God to do the unbelievable, then I've got to do these three things. The first thing is this, verse 17, God's able to deliver us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they believe God could do it. So they, he, they said literally, we believe God can deliver us. Let me just ask you, do you still believe God can do it? I mean, have you just be honest with yourself. Have you gotten to a point where you're no longer very sure that God even can do God stuff? So like when you're sick, let's just get real. Like, you know, cancer, you know, heart disease, uh, marriage problems. I mean, like total disaster. Kids gone crazy. Rebellious family. Just crisis. Your job's absolutely trash. It's going crazy and there's no way to turn it around. It's just a terrible workplace. Let me just ask you, do you still believe God can do something about that? See, because that, that's the thing. Biblically, we know Scripture teaches us we should believe that. We should have faith in the unbelievable. But what happens, I'm afraid, in the context we've created is that we avoid all of the uncertainties to such a degree we're not even usually positioned at the mouth of the fiery furnace. We're, we're very seldom in a position where we've got a bow or burn. And so when we do get to that point, we don't even think of calling on God because I don't, I don't know that we actually believe he can do anything to change it. So here's the, the first thing. Do you believe God can? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we believe God can do it. Here's a step further though, because we get a little spiritual sometimes and we'll say, we believe God can, let me pray for you. And all we pray is about God, if it's your will. And let me just say, that's totally cool. That's a biblical concept. Even Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane said, father, not my will, but yours be done, right? So we should obviously pray in the will of God. But notice what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed. They said, we believe God can, but they go a step further and they say, we believe God will. So when you're praying for someone, when you're praying for yourself, when you're praying for a situation, do you actually believe God will do it? Do you believe that God is actually going to do it? Or are you just praying out of some spiritual obligation to make yourself feel better? This is a really important confrontational question because here's the thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are leading us out by recognizing it's not just a belief that God can, but it's a belief God will. And then the third thing is the third part of the equation. 
But even if he doesn't, this is where the will of God comes into play. If it's not God's will to do it, I'm still going to have faith in him because I trust him. I trust him. I trust in his character. I know that he is for me. He's not against me. Those aren't just songs we sing. This is, this is a biblical concept. We understand that even if in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life, they had have lost their lives in the fiery furnace, they ultimately still would have won in the end. And so uh, no matter what, they, they said, look, we, we believe he's able to deliver us. He will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not bow to you. We will not serve your gods. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to lose everything for their faith. They trusted God. They believed God. They were convinced that God was able to rescue them. So if we hope to maximize our potential for deliverance, we must refuse to conform. We must be willing to lose. And then third and final, we must look for rescue. We must look for rescue. I'm afraid we we've positioned ourselves in such a, a, a way, in a place to where we are not convinced we need to be rescued. We think we've got it. Uh, we're, we're very self-sufficient people. And, uh, and look, I'm, I'm not beating you up, I promise. This is all of us. I feel like this is, we've been lulled to sleep by a society that's, that's so self-centered that we coddle one another. And, and we, we, if we're not careful, we, we nurture a church, you could say an ecclesiology, a church culture, a view of church that's very much just an us-centered idea. It's like, what's best for us? I was talking to a pastor recently, and he said, we well, you know, this is all about really, you know, seeing what, you know, we got to cater to this group, we got to cater to that group, we got to make sure that, you know, what's, what's best for this. You know what's best for every group? Obeying Jesus. You know what's best for a church? Just do what God said. You know, when you get into trouble, when you start asking, what, what, let's cater to this group. Let's cater to that group. Let's do what's going to make everybody feel comfortable. That's not anywhere in the Bible, guys. And when we start living our lives and our Christian lives like it's all about us and it's all about us, you know, uh, being safe and secure, that's, that's contrary. I'm not saying be, be reckless, but I'm telling you that when we live by faith, God will call us to the mouth of the fiery furnace sometimes. God will call us to South Louisiana. <laughs> and you may feel like you're at the fiery furnace, amen? You know? He's going to call us to uncomfortable places. And our decision-making process before God, listen, I, somebody told me, I didn't plan on doing this. Somebody told me like 20 or 30 students publicly said that they feel like God may be leading them to ministry of some kind. I, it's gonna be, I, I didn't plan on this. If you're one of those people who said that, would you just do something to stand up right now? Just stand up. If you've said, I believe God's calling me to ministry of some kind. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you guys for standing. Young, be seated. Here's the thing. Sometimes, again... Let's just be really honest. When God calls us to stuff, sometimes we're like, okay, so what, what do you feel like you're going to do? You know? Here's a good answer. Whatever God says. What, what, do, you think, what do you think you're going to do in ministry? Whatever God says. I would have never thought 
Honest to God, when Aunt called a ministry, Amy and I would have left with a three-month-old baby boy to drive to South Louisiana to move nine hours from my mom and daddy. My mama, who just literally in the hospital this morning, she may be watching right now. God didn't call you to comfort, man. God didn't call you to do what... We, we didn't... South Carolina... We didn't know where Simpsonville, South Carolina was eight years ago. You know? Now it's home. Now it's beautiful. But I'm just telling you, sometimes God... Not sometimes, most of the time. God calls you outside of your comfort. God's going to take you places you don't even think about. You don't even want to think about. And if we've got this little box where we've crammed God in a box and we're like, yeah, I'm, hey, look, I'm going to still live for Jesus. I'm just going to bow. I'm just going to bow for a minute. But I'm really going to still live for Jesus. Yes, bow or burn. Bow or burn. God didn't give us any in-between. He didn't really give us an option for one foot in the flames and one foot in compromise. That's, that's just not a God thing. That's not a biblical concept. And so if we feel called by God, number one, first of all, we're all called by God, by the way. The people who stood just a moment ago may feel an occupational calling, a specific or maybe a special calling. But everybody in this room has been called by God. And he's not called any of us to serve ourselves. That's not, that's not what God has called you to do. And so with that, we can't find rescue until we acknowledge we need to be rescued. And we can't even acknowledge we need to be rescued until we lower the bumper guards. We've got to lower the gutter guards. If we don't lower the guards... And here's the thing, man, we don't need any help. We got this. We're a winner. We never lose. We don't even have a risk. Listen, I don't even have a risk of a gutter ball because I've set up everything in such a way that I'm not even going to experience loss, pain, sacrifice. I'm good. I'm good. All these other people, sure, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna do their thing, but I, I'm just, I'm good where I'm at. Look what it says in verse 24. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the fire? And they answered and said, Yeah, yeah, sure thing. I mean, we threw three. He said, I see four. I see four unbound in verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 25. I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. They're not hurt. The appearance of the fourth was like the son of the gods. He was a pagan worshiper, so obviously plural. He was not a worshiper of the one true God. Nebuchadnezzar asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His tone kind of changed. Hey, guys, would y'all mind coming out of the fire? I'd like to talk to you for a minute, right? I mean, he was, he was not wanting to go into the fire to have the conversation. Look at verse 27. It explains that everyone saw the fire had no power over the men. You know why, you know why the culture has power over us? Because we won't let the guards down. We're not living a life with a risk of any loss. We, we're conditioned for comfort. And we, we say, yes, God, if. Yes, God, as long as X, Y, Z. But, you know, it's all conditional obedience. And, it, and I'm here to tell you, we, we don't experience the miracle. We don't experience the deliverance because we're playing it safe in our faith. 
We're not willing to live our faith out loud. Oh, we're, we're willing to die one day and have faith in Christ to live eternal. But man, living faithfully is, is a lot harder. And so in other words, man, we just have the appearance of faith instead of actual faith. So we fear the flames of our society's rebellion and the threats of living by faith. We obey the king of culture and bow to his idol of compromise. All the while, rescue is waiting as God sees our every move. In verse 28 and 29, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges, listen to this, the one true God. And he made a decree. Anyone who speaks against God is going to be torn limb from limb. That's crazy, right? Changes his tune. He said, if you, if you speak against God, I'm, your house will be laid to ruins. But then notice what the king said. There is no other God who's able to rescue like their God. So God elevates Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then, and then in the midst of all of that, they point straight to God. And in the end, he's the one who gains the fame. He's the one who gets the glory. As they surrender themselves, they actually have faith. They believe in the unbelievable. They still believe God can. They still have faith enough to believe God will. And even if he's not going to deliver them, they're willing to die for their faith. In verse 28, 29, it helps us understand that even our enemies will bow when we're faithful to God. I'm going to leave you with two questions. First is, which king will you serve? Will you bow to King Nebuchadnezzar or King Jesus? It really is that simple. And the second is kind of a synonymous question. Who will deliver you? If your answer to that question is anything about self, then I'm here to tell you the fires of the furnace will consume you. If you're here to serve yourself, if you think you're going to deliver yourself, you don't need a savior, then you're hopeless without Jesus. But today, if you'll trust him, Today, if you'll trust him, not just for salvation, but for rescue every day of your life, we would see the upstate of South Carolina turned upside down for the glory of God. If, if just in this campus, 2,000 people, if our church, 3,200 people surrendered their lives to Jesus and lived and loved out loud in Jesus' name, man, we would, we would see lives change for the glory of God. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. I thank you for your word. It's so good. There's never a time we open it where we're just not absolutely challenged and changed by your power. God, I pray today you would do what we can't do for ourselves, and that is peel away all the, all the things that would prevent us from hearing your Holy Spirit. Lord, even some of the preconceived ideas that we might have that would cause us to be reluctant to be open. God, would you, would you help us say yes? even when we don't know the question, that we would say yes to you, that we'd follow you, no matter how hot the fire gets. God, that we would demonstrate our faith by believing the unbelievable. God, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?